In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who does bring us to witness His power in our lives. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, He is risen. Good, good. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. That's a very, very old call and response, actually. It is a call and response, actually, that emerged, it appears, right after Jesus had died. And then people had said that he had raised physically, actually bodily, out of the tomb. It's really about that old. We can date it back to about 100 A.D., and it was probably around before that. That old call and response. Because the way that it probably happened, the way that it probably came about it the first time, is that, well, in that time, they had, the Romans were crucifying a lot of people. There were a lot of people that were crucified, and people knew what crucifixion meant. It meant that you would be up on one of those things, and that you would hang there bleeding to death until you actually died. And so they had seen that a lot. They knew what that was like. They knew what would happen then. And they knew then that when you got done with that crucifixion, that at least in Jerusalem they would bury you. And they knew that that was pretty much the final part of uh, your life. Uh, they wouldn't really see you again. They didn't have a whole lot of people that were coming back from that. And so, these early Christians, these Christians that uh, had claimed to have seen this guy who got up out of a tomb, these early Christians then would go to one another and they would kind of be walking through the street and they would say, He is risen. And the other person would say, You're crazy. Unless they were another Christian. And then they would say, He is risen. And the other person would say, Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you had that early call and response thing that's happening. And we as Lutherans have this historic liturgy that we have another call and response that we know really, really well. The Lord be with you. Yeah, you know that one. And so we know He is risen. We know the Lord be with you. But one that isn't really sort of native to uh, this church and to Lutheran churches in general is another one that you maybe have heard from other friends or maybe have seen even if you've gone to another church, and that is, can I get a witness? Alright, some of you know it. Can I get a witness? And then you hear this kind of pop up from different parts of the congregation. You hear, Amen. And you might not really know what that's all about, actually. When you hear that in a church that practices that call and response, usually it starts off with a preacher like myself who is talking about something that has happened in his life or in another person's life. And if that thing resonates with you, if that's something that has been a part of your experience, then, and that person says, can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Right. And so that is what that call and response is all about. And 
today as we dive into this text, as we dive into this text from Acts, that at the end of it begins to talk about really what a witness is, is going to be important to realize that call and response, and we're going to practice it a little bit. And so we're going to start off with telling that story about Peter and the apostles. And Peter and the apostles were back in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, we really don't have any of the information up to that point, but they are back in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, important to remember here, the Sanhedrin, this is about 70 guys who are the Jewish ruling authorities in Jerusalem. This is where all of the theological decisions get made. And it's a very scary place to be. If you remember being like in second grade and going to the principal's office, because I definitely do. Can I get a witness? All right. It was a very scary place, and so Peter and the apostles were in front of these people, and they were having to answer for something that they had already been told not to do. And they had been caught doing it again. And so, and they knew that these people meant business, because the Sanhedrin, these are the same people that killed Jesus. They're the same people that crucified Him. And so they know that this could happen to them, that this is possibly a life and death moment for Peter and the other apostles. And so they're walking into this, and the Sanhedrin begins to scold them. They begin to say, we told you not to speak in this name again, and yet you're still doing it. And you are intent, in fact, on bringing this man's blood upon us. Which, of course, it should be upon them, right? Because they are the ones that put him on that cross. They are the ones who he first saw after Judas had betrayed him. After Judas had betrayed him, if you remember the story of the Passion, they took him and they brought him to the council, to the Sanhedrin. And there the Sanhedrin put together all of these trumped up charges against Jesus to which Jesus just allowed them to abuse him. In fact, allowed them to do all sorts of things like hit him in the face and then finally deliver him over to Pilate, which we know how that ended. And we know that that ended in a crucifixion. A very shameful way to die. A way that was very shameful, especially for a Jew at the time. And a Jew at any time, really. Because, you see, what happens when you're crucified is that, first of all, any of you would be shamed by this. They would basically strip you down naked. The only thing that you would have left on would be your underwear. And they would nail you to a cross that was much bigger than that one, but probably about as high as that one behind me. And the people that were gathered there would see you naked, basically, and dying. And you would be ashamed. But you would be especially ashamed if you were a good Jewish boy like Jesus was. 
and you would be especially ashamed for him if you were a good Jew who's watching this because you knew that there was a special curse that was found within the first five books of the Bible that said that he who is hanged on a tree is especially cursed. And for any Jew at the time, that tree was the cross. And so, when Peter is talking about this Jesus, and he's telling people about this Jesus, and he's telling people that the Sanhedrin had him killed, and had him put on this cursed tree, there's probably some shame going on there, it's cool. (laughs) Had him hanging on this tree, he knew that this was something that impacted them. He knew that this was something that they could feel. There was something about this fact that he could bring them to really understand the, the, the just extreme, extreme shame that Jesus had to go through here. But there's more than just the extreme shame. I mean, we know what it's like to to be shamed, don't we? We know what it's like to be ashamed, to walk into the room and not to know anybody. There's a little bit of shame that happens there. When you walk into a room and you don't know anybody and you feel as if nobody wants to talk to you, there's some shame in there. Can I get a witness? And we also know some other shame. We know the shame of when somebody calls out something that we have done wrong in front of a big group of people. When somebody says, you did this wrong and it's like the whole world is looking at you. You know that shame, don't you? Can I get a witness? We know shame. We know that it must have been so shameful for our Lord to die on that cross. That it wasn't only painful, but it was also shameful as well for Him to be hung upon that accursed tree. But Peter says that there's more to it. Peter says that there's more to what happened to him. Because Peter says that he, through that process, has become a leader, through that process has become a Savior, that He now is the Savior of this group that is here in front of the Sanhedrin, and that He is so powerful that they are not ashamed because they are brought in front of the Sanhedrin, and they're not even afraid of the Sanhedrin. That they are standing there in front of the Sanhedrin with complete bravery saying, This is what we believe. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. You hung Him on a tree. You tried to shame Him. But He is great. And He showed that through coming out of that tomb. And showing... His victory. And we are witnesses 
of these things. Witnesses of these things. It's kind of interesting, that term witness. We know it from our courtroom language. We know what a witness is really supposed to be. In fact, some of you here are either in law school or pre-law or have already gotten through law school and you know what a witness is. That it's somebody that you call up front and you ask them some questions and then they are able to testify to what happened. And yet, the way that we use witness, a lot of times in the Christian church, is a little bit, it's a little bit different. In fact, sometimes we even use it in a sense that is much more sort of prosecuting attorney. Right? Where you have that witness who goes out and he tells people, well, you're doing all of this horrible stuff. And I'm here to witness to you. But what you're doing there is not witnessing at all. What you're doing there is you're just accusing them. That's not really something that a witness does. In fact, then a judge would say, you're out of order. That's not really a witnessing at all. And yet, sometimes some of us get into uh, another role too in our witnessing. And that other role is sort of this kind of uh, defense attorney kind of deal, where you have somebody who's attacking you. And maybe somebody who's putting you to shame, who's saying, how can you believe this stuff? How can you believe that somebody rose from the dead? And then you have to defend yourself. But what Peter is saying here is that he and the disciples, in this very moment, are witnesses. That there are people that have seen things happen. And yeah, there's times in our lives where we need to be on the defensive for our faith. And there are even probably times that we need to be, maybe not on the offensive, but at least a little bit more aggressive about our faith, and telling other people about that. But what Peter is talking about here is not any of that. What Peter is talking about here is a much more personal thing. That it is a witnessing that comes out of your own experience. That it is a witnessing that you need to have gone through some things in order to do this. And so that's why it's so important for us as Lutherans to say every Sunday that we get together that we start this whole thing off by saying we're sinners. We've sinned time in and time out. We've sinned this morning. We sinned last morning. We sinned just every day of our life. We have probably even sinned five times in one minute. We've even sinned big sins. And little sins. We know what sins are all about. Can I get a witness? We do know what sins are all about. And sometimes we try to hide that away. But sometimes it's not good because sometimes that takes away 
from the witnessing that you're able to do. But just witnessing to your own sins, that's not really worth a whole lot. Because we know plenty of people that sin. Can I get a witness? And plenty of people who sin that don't go to church. Witness? And we know that that really doesn't separate us from anybody in society. The thing that separates us from society, the thing that separates us from the rest of everybody else, the thing that separated Peter and those apostles from the Sanhedrin is something that is called the forgiveness of sin. And Peter says that is why Jesus came. That is what His mission was all about. And so, we know that we can feel shame inside over our sins. And we know that we have probably felt very shamefully about our sins. Can I get a witness? But we also know that there's something different for us. That because Jesus died on that cross... Because Jesus said that He was going to forgive our sins. Because Jesus gave us the right and the ability to forgive sins in His name. We know that that shame is not a part of who we are anymore. But we know instead that we are especially blessed. Because we know that we should have shame, but we have forgiveness. Can I get a witness? We know that we have been baptized. Can I get a witness? We know that we have been included in God's plan. Can I get a witness? We are this people of God that are called now to be a witness to the things that you just said amen to. To the things that include that you do sin and that you can't even stop yourself all of the time. You are called to be a witness of that, but you are called moreover to be a witness that those sins are forgiven. And that those sins are forgiven because you are a baptized child of God. Because you know God's effect in your life. Because you know that He has included you for the sake of Jesus Christ into His family. We know that we are witnesses of the greatest exchange that ever happened. That our sins left us and went to Him, and that He paid the price on that cursed tree. He paid the shame. He paid all of it. And now, all we're called to do is to go out into this world armed with our hallelujahs and our amens and to witness to what He has done in our life. Hallelujah. Amen. Please rise.